Welcome to the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be speaking with Lydia Slater, Editor-in-Chief of Harper's Bazaar. Lydia is responsible for overseeing its print, digital, and experiential offering, as well as having expanded the Bazaar at Work program and launched the Bazaar Summit, an annual conference that champions the career woman, bringing together Bazaar's high net worth readership with women leaders from around the world, an initiative that has become a pillar of the brand. Lydia, welcome and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you. Um, and I know we've said that, you know, this is predominantly us talking about luxury and it's going to be partly us talking about luxury. What I wanted to start with is for you to just tell us a bit about yourself, what you do, where you come from, how you've got to be um, the editor-in-chief at Harper's. Gosh. <laughs> um well, um, that is a question that I almost never think about. I, I suppose I wanted to be a journalist from the age of four. I remember very clearly writing an article for my school magazine um, and the joy of seeing my words in print. I'd written about a red velvet sausage dog that I wanted to buy on, the, on one of the, I think it was the white elephant store. And... Um, and just the pride of opening it up and seeing my words and my terrible handwriting, you know, lit this spark, which, which has never really gone out. Um, so my first published piece was, in fact, in Harper's and Queen, as it was then. Um, I was 17, I think, and I was writing for their teenage issue. And um, so I've always sort of really felt an incredible fondness for Harper's Bazaar. Um, and after that, I went to university, I did languages, but I also was the literary editor of um, the Oxford University magazine, Isis. And then I did the Vogue talent contest and I came second, um, which I was obviously very annoyed about. Um, <laughs> and then um, I, I sort of started out in newspapers, just actually just on a sort of day rate. Um, I was started out in the Daily Mail in the female department and I was working there for sort of one, you know, I, was, I, had, I had a week's work experience, I think. And then they asked me to stay on and the week turned into months and the months turned into years. And then after that, I went on to the Daily Telegraph and then I joined Harper's and Queen um, as features editor. And that was really the most wonderful time um, it was in the late 90s, so it was sort of the absolute height of the sort of fabulousness of magazines. And I was working under Fiona McPherson, who I really thought was wonderful, and she was an absolutely inspiring editor. And I remember very clearly saying to myself, this would be the perfect job for me if I was 45 and had children, because it was too civilised in a funny way. I, I was sort of able to go out for lunch and, you know... Um, just led, led a really wonderful lifestyle and I was very kind of hungry and very keen to you know work 24 hours a day I don't quite know now looking back on it I think how ridiculous um, but then I thought no I need something more challenging so I, I went on I went to the Sunday Times Style I was deputy editor there then and then acting editor of Sunday Times Style and then I went freelance and I was freelance for many years. I was freelance for 13 years, I think. And I did various things like I was, um, I mean, I wrote a lot, mainly for the Times, 
um, and New Magazine and those sort of um, newspapers, also a lot of magazines. And then out of the blue, um, I was asked to apply for the deputy editorship of, of Harper's Bazaar. I'd actually interviewed Justine Piccardy, um for the Times and, you know, she and I got on really well. So um, I, I did apply and I got the job and that was in 2015. And I've been there ever since. Wow. I mean, so that's, I mean, quite a career in journalism. You know, if you kind of chart your career, it's just thinking about, you know, you talking about the early 90s. Um, I used to work for the Emanuels. Um, that's going back. Um, and I remember popping down to Vogue House and how different it was. Yes. I mean, it, it, it was, it's, I feel bad for people now going into journalism because, you know, they really were, I mean, I would say they were the glory days, but then of course, you know, the days before that were even more amazing and ridiculous. But, you know, we just, we just, it was just incredible fun. You know, we, we just, had a wonderful time we were always out we, we went to see everything we met everybody you know we had sort of pop stars turning up in the office and you know it was it was very ab fab really when you look back on it <laughs> yeah i mean i the funny stories i mean you know from those times um, and i can i kind of I, I relate because i remember you know oh well we've got we're doing a shoot and in fact i think we did a harper shoot in new york and i had to go to new york in like oh tomorrow we need to make the dress and people were, you know in the workshop they were up all night making a dress for us to take a dress to new york for a shoot and i think it was with either jane seymour or um somewhere like that but yeah. that kind of spontaneity doesn't exist anymore does it no, it doesn't. And I don't, and the budgets aren't there either. I mean, you know, now we plan everything to the sort of last, the nth degree and, you know, everything's got to be sort of, you know, costed to the last penny. Um, it, you know, it wasn't like that then. No. Um, and I think, you know, I suppose that's a luxury. You know, those times were times of opulence, weren't they? Yes, absolutely. And, and of course, you know, I think even then, actually, I was aware of it. You know, I, I, I did think, gosh, you know, this is, I do remember, I remember the editor saying to me that she'd arrived in Paris for the shows and she'd opened her, the door of her hotel room. And she said, I was knocked backwards by the smell of leather. And there were so many handbags on her bed that she couldn't actually see the bed. You know, those, those were definitely, <laughs> those days are gone. <laughs> yeah, sadly. sadly. Or maybe not. <laughs> you know. Um so what's the most exciting thing about your job now then? I mean, things have changed. Well, I suppose the really fundamentally exciting thing about the job for me hasn't changed. It's still that thing of, of opening up a magazine and seeing something that I put in there printed, you know, and, and um, that, that joy and excitement will never fade for me. And I also know what an incredible privilege it is to work not only work with the, these amazing creative talents that um, that we have, you know, on the team um, who are totally inspiring, but also, you know, to be able to collaborate with the greatest artists, you know, the greatest actors, the designers, writers, thinkers, um, you know, we work with them very often on our features and fashion stories and, um, and, you know, you can learn so much, obviously, from, from sort of that, that, that contact. Yeah, sure. And, I mean, I suppose that's kind of, you know, it's, it's inspirational, I suppose, to your team, but also to everyone who reads the magazine 
in being able to be led by somebody who you know has this uh, i suppose amazing um capacity to to kind of gauge the feeling of what's out there in order to be able to put it into this um book in effect magazine that people can read and look at and then you know identify different stories about different things different people social cultural um things that are impacting on all our lives i mean it's about inspiration isn't it completely i mean our new strap line is um um is is it's intelligent inspiring inimitable and and that is you know it's not it's the way that i perceive the magazine it's also the way that i think about the people who are in it and also about the readers themselves um and you know i regard my role really as sort of it, it's it's curation it's sort of being a museum not a museum but a curator of 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 an exhibition say that's that's changing constantly that's changing every month um and in my head there's always a loose theme i don't necessarily put it into the magazine um or make it sort of overt but i've always got a theme in my head because i like to try and make the magazine feel coherent as a whole um so it's it's not just for me it's not just these are the most exciting people this month it's also that they are talking about something whether that's you know that that whether that's fashion or whether that's nature or whether that's um curiosity or whatever it might be you know i'm always trying to link them together somehow mm-hmm. and and that's what makes the story isn't it you know it's it's not just about interviewing one person about one thing there's always the, you know there there're always little things strands or what these nuggets that you can tease out of people that you know might not necessarily be that obvious and i was reading the interview you did with Gillian Anderson for example and just interesting to get an honest response from you know the the interviewee because you're kind of i suppose you're much more sympathetic to what your reader is expecting and that's what you're teasing out of the person you interview i guess so and i suppose also that we're not um we don't go into things with an agenda other than to celebrate um we don't want to feature people uh or 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 anything that we're not sort of behind and we're, we're not supporting and so i think people do feel safe and they feel able to open up to us um i mean the cover of our visionary issue um in in the february issue is uh iman who i've always personally thought was amazing and i i had sort of you know sort of a bit of a crush on her in the way that i did on her husband as well um but she said to me you know she hadn't she said this is pretty much the first british interview that i've done since david's death because i just you know she, she's frightened of the of the british press but you know we we we're not that that's not what we're after that's not what we're about you know think about harper's bazaar and its history uh, i suppose you know you are the custodian at the moment of the that magazine so i was just interested to know how i mean how do you how would you describe this legacy you've inherited and how do you ensure or try to ensure that the there's this this legacy continues and the magazine continues to have social impact because that is kind of what you're about isn't it yes i mean it was founded over 150 years ago and you know right from the start it it combined style and substance it was never it was never just 
a, a fashion magazine. The first editor was a campaigner for women's suffrage. She was an anti-slavery campaigner. Um, so, you know, it's always had those, those two strands. And Carmel Snow, who I would argue is probably its greatest ever editor-in-chief, um, called it a magazine for well-dressed women with well-dressed minds. So I, I see... I see it as a bringing together beautiful, beautiful fashion, beautiful photography, jewellery, makeup, all of that, but also maintaining our literary, our intellectual legacy. Um, we've, you know, from the start, people like Henry James wrote for Bazaar, um, Charles Dickens, Virginia Woolf, um, and we we continue to publish, you know, we, we published Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, Bernadine Evaristo, Hilary Mantel, uh, Margaret Atwood, um, and, you know, I would always want to maintain that and also continue the, the literary legacy. We, we have our own short story competition. Um, and our last year's winner, Huma Qureshi, has just um, bringing out her first book. And then for the January issue, we have, uh, I think it's four original short stories, um, which we commissioned from Tamima Annam and Marina Levitska and other people. So... You know that that's how I see the the, the the sort of maintaining of this rather formidable legacy that you've described, um, and also developing it in the area of um, women's empowerment because our readership is very much of successful professional women um, who are politically and culturally engaged as well as as well as keen consumers of of luxury. Mm. So, I mean, th that brings us nicely onto um, on onto kind of a talking about luxury. Um, and I was just wondering how you communicate that. You know, what is it that Harper's Bazaar does um, that communicates luxury so differently? Because it does do that. Well, I mean, first of all, I, I don't think that luxury has to necessarily be things that are very expensive or things that are very out of reach. I think what they are, what luxury really is, is about, is about the best in whatever, in, in its class of whatever that may be. And I would class Bazaar itself as, as that. And so um, I want the reader to sort of enjoy every page and find something uplifting or beautiful or relaxing or pleasurable. Every page has got to be pleasurable in some way. Um, and so um, you know, we, we are obsessive about the design, about the photography, um, about the words we use, you know, the amount of sort of going tiptoeing and throwing and taking words out and feeling that, you know, this word sounds a bit too like that word, so let's get rid of it, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, all of that sort of thing. And then, and then also the typography as well, which obviously, um, you know, the Dido font that Alexei Brodovich sort of loved and, and, and we still have. And, and I think that's sort of, that sort of sums it up for me in a way because it's so it's so elegant and it's it's sort of it's impactful but it's also sort of subtle and not shouty so yes I think it's just a sort of an attitude of elegance on every page that I'm I'm trying to get to yeah and I and I think you know I think when you kind of when you read the magazine it is you know it is a very different experience to reading some others that sell fashion or tell stories. It has a, it, it does have a different kind of feel to it. And I was just thinking, well, you know, you know, luxury is your content, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely it is. And, and you know, um, to go back to your, your previous question, I'm thinking, you know, so I might say do an interview with a businesswoman and, you know, how do you make that a luxury experience? It's, it's kind of, uh, it's hard to put into words, but you know it. You know, it's sort of, it's somebody who is sort of at the top of their game and um, who has interesting insights that you don't get everywhere else. You know, we're always, you know, I think Brod, going back to Alexei Brodovich, you know, his, his, the thing that he used to say all the time was astonish me. Um, and, you know, I think that's, that's quite a good, that's quite a good motto, really. You know, this, this idea you mentioned um, kind of empowering women mm. um, and, you know, wondered how that idea manifested itself in you and how it manifests itself um, through your work. You know, just thinking again about what you said at the beginning about your career path has very much been focused, you know, on the on journalism, but telling meaningful stories and capturing important moments. So I was just wondering, you know, that empowering or the empowerment of women come, seems to have been part of that journey. Yes. I mean, it definitely has. And I've got two daughters and, um, you know, they absolutely roll their eyes when they hear me going on about feminism and sort of, you know, laugh at me. But <laughs> um, I don't, I, I, I suppose, you know, when I, when I joined Bazaar in 2015, I was given these at work pages as sort of to edit. And they were at the time quite um, fashion focused. And we would, I started doing events around them. So um, we would get uh, somebody who'd written a book about, I don't know, imposter syndrome or something. And she would come in and we'd do a, a non-stage interview. And then um, we, and then the audience would ask questions. And the thing that I found really interesting was that the audience was so, were all, you know, professional, clearly very successful um, women and that there was this enormous hunger for to, to connect with other women to find out more about their experience and to to hear from women who had been through the things that they had been through and I realized that um, you know even if you've done quite well or, or very well you, you you know that doesn't stop you feeling that you insecure or that you, you don't have all the answers or that you know, you, you want to share, you want to, to, to share your problems and discuss them with other women. And um, I didn't feel that that appetite had been, had been met, really. So that was what started the whole thing. So we started doing these events as a, on a monthly basis. And then um, that turned into the Bazaar Summit, which you mentioned, which is a sort of day-long conference. And we, we approached, I approached... Um, extraordinary businesswomen. I mean, one of the ones that really stood out for me that first year was um, Dame Stephanie Shirley, who had been a tech pioneer. Um, and she had, um, she, she, for years, she'd had to sign off, sign her letters as Steve, because nobody would take her seriously if, if she was Stephanie. Um, and uh, she started employing women who had been, who were, who were at home because they were um, that they were they were mothers. She employed them, and they were the women who then designed the black box for the Concord. Um, and you know, she's 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 an amazing person. She's I mean, she, she, you know, she was in her eighties, I'd say. Um, 
but her speech was so extraordinary that everybody sort of rose to their feet and clapped and everybody was crying and it was that was sort of you know it's it's that sort of um that's the sort of thing that I'm trying to trying to do I'm trying to inspire women with with the stories of other women I guess I was speaking to Helen Brocklebank from Walpole um and I was saying you know it's amazing that there are so many women that we just don't know about who are doing these formidable jobs um and are slightly under the radar. And I suppose the question I said to her is, or asked her, I was you know, talking about formidable women. What makes a formidable or visionary woman? What's the difference? Are they the same thing? Well, I don't know. I think formidable sounds quite sort of frightening, really. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, visionary, our, our, our February issue is dedicated to visionary women. Um, and they are the women who have the courage to look the future in the face and do something to make it better. And, you know, some of the people we, we've spoken to, you know, like Melinda Gates, um, who is um, wanting, actively wanting to build a post-pandemic world, which is, you know, that's better um, by helping women. Or Gabriella Hurst, the, the, the you know, the, the, the eco-friendly fashion designer who's just taken over at Chloe. You know, she's, she was talking to me about her upbringing in um, Uruguay and how being a, a, a child on your own on a, on a horse that could just gallop off, you know, into the distance. And if, she said, if, if, you, if you're frozen with fear, you'll die. You have to go with the horse and you have to try and explain to the horse that actually it's okay, that actually this, you know, the snake or the spider or whatever it was that it saw you know, isn't, is, is gone. It's not going to kill it. And you have to, so, and she was using that as, um, as a metaphor, both for the pandemic and also for climate change, you know, that if you don't do anything about it, you know, we're all doomed, but actually you can, that there are things you can do, even if you're much smaller and weaker than the problem itself. And so how did, when you putting together the summit or, um, when you're kind of thinking about bizarre at work, how do you then identify the women you want to um, to speak to and engage with. Well, so we just we just did a bazaar at work week, which was entirely um, virtual, and um, I started by asking myself, you know, what are the questions that I personally really want to know about? You know, personally, I would like to know, for instance, what's going to happen to the office. Um, you know, what 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 is the future, and then. Um, you know, why is it, why is a diverse team, why is that better for business? Or, um, you know, I, will, I wanted to talk to Gillian Anderson because she was playing Margaret Thatcher and I wanted to know what that was like. And then I also, we also put it, we spoke to Julia Gillard, the former Australian prime minister, about leadership and also about what it's like to face the degree of sexism that she did face. Um, so it, it, it's, it's really sort of, um, it, I honestly start from the point of view of what do I want? What do I want to, to hear about? What do I want to know the answer to? Um, and then somehow there always seems to be the, per the right person just is always turns up somehow. <laughs> I, I just simply sort of bring it back to what's the interesting conversation going on out there? 
um, you know, because we want to be part of it. And we not only want to be part of it, but we want to talk to the people who are really leading that conversation. Um, so whatever, whatever it is, you know, we're going to be there. I, I mean, you get all these, um, you know, you have these amazing um, women participating in the events that you do. You're inspiring other well, men and women. You know, this is not only about women. You're inspiring lots of people who engage in um, in in the work that you do. And I was just wondering, you know, thinking, you know, just trying to get back to luxury again. I was just thinking, how do you communicate luxury to your readers? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I think what I was saying previously about the, um, you know, sort of the elegance and the typography and all of that, that's how I look to communicate luxury. Um but I mean, obviously, I am interested in those things personally because I'd be in the wrong job if I wasn't, you know. But I, I don't know. I think I think luxury is quite broad for me. I mean, it, it's sort of, you know, I think there's, I think that it's also about sort of keeping things simple. I think simplicity has got a lot of elegance about it, um, and I think that during this very crazy time, you know, what people have rediscovered is is the luxury of simplicity. Um, and of going out for a walk or reading a book, you know, or baking, or, you know, all the things that people sort of were shouting about on Instagram as though they'd only just discovered it. Um, and I think, again, you know, with iconic designs, there's often a real simplicity about them because it makes them recognisable, you know, down the centuries and relevant to, to different generations and you know without boundaries but across the globe you know so so if something's really well designed it doesn't need embellishment and actually it was quite interesting during the whole lockdown thing because we we found ourselves having to do things in a much more simple way than we had previously so you know we had this this cover shot shoot with um, the supermodel Ashley Graham and um, we ended up having to ask her husband to take the pictures and he's not even a photographer he's a cinematographer um, but he took the pictures and we couldn't really get any fashion to her so we just managed to get her a white shirt and some black leggings and and then I had to do this interview over zoom and it and it, it, it all sounded like it could have been a total disaster and actually I think it was incredibly powerful because it really reflected you know what was going on at the time and because it was it was very stripped back and and pure and I really enjoyed it yeah, I mean, interesting. Um, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the photographer Jack Davison. No. He does a lot of work for the New York Times portraits. Um, and he just did a, he's just done a portrait um, of a director and um, it was done on Zoom. Yeah. He didn't even, you know, he didn't never left his, his house. Yeah, it is amazing. Um, I mean, and we had, we had shoots where the, the makeup artist, was on Zoom going, or now just put a little bit of the, you know, pink lipstick just here, la, 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 you know, that sort of thing. And then another a, a shoot in the same issue, in the July issue, where the photographer shot something like 40 looks on his wife in their back garden. Um, and it's beautiful. You know? Yeah. Um, it, it is amazing. And it's amazing, you know, these you know, try, one tries not to kind of dwell on the pandemic too much, but it has forced us to do things very differently, hasn't it? Oh, completely, yeah. Um, I mean, I can't deny that I'm desperate to, get, to be able to do them the way that we did. <laughs> but I am incredibly impressed with 
the ability of the team to pivot in this extraordinary way and the fact that we can still bring out a very beautiful magazine um, on you know with with none of the resources that we used to rely on yeah and it's also I, I suppose it's also about you know communicating the change because our shopping habits have changed our access to not only stuff that we want to wear or use has changed you mm. know everything's being delivered whether it's um oh i don't know going to Claridge's and it, you know not having tea there but having them send you a tea pack to your house i mean the whole experience has changed yeah absolutely absolutely and um actually you know going back to your question about you know what luxury is it's quite interesting because if you get yourself a a delivery from Claridge's and you eat it out of the box you know, it's not a quarter as nice as if you actually laid it out on some pretty china. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, I think I think that, I don't know, I think luxury is quite a lot about setting the scene somehow. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you know, nothing could replace walking into the Claridge's entrance or walking into Fortnum's and kind of smelling and seeing and hearing the the knock the doorbell going and yeah. oh here's yes exactly tea's not the same. here it is and also you're 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 in your pajamas you know that's it's a lot about the anticipation and dressing up and you know the beautiful the beautiful shoes and the lovely coat and all the rest of it <laughs> well I mean there's another thing isn't there you know they could be bringing the entire experience I mean that you know that is a phenomenal thing to think that Claridge's could bring a room, set it up outside your house or in your garden and have the staff wait on you in exactly the same way they would in the hotel. Absolutely. Anyway. <laughs> That's the- <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I'm sure somebody's done that. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past uh, many people. Oh, I did, have, uh, I did have a delivery from, I think it was the Dorchester, and they arrived in a very, very beautiful vintage car and that definitely made the tea taste even more delicious a lot of it is just about the experience it's not necessarily about what you're getting a lot of the time as you know how you feel mm. i want to do also kind of um just talk to you about uh, just going back to the women thing yeah. because i it's it's really in, it's um it's a timely conversation i think when thinking about the pandemic thinking about these women leaders you know new zealand finland um uh, making such a difference in terms of their response to um, issues that are impacting so many people. And then you've got, you know, also um, women leading corporations, you know, you leading magazines, leading design houses, um, you know, general business. I was just wondering, you talk about career women and I, um, I've in the Bazaar Summit and I was just wondering if you could describe what a career woman is. It might sound simplistic, but it doesn't feel simplistic well i mean i think it's i think you know you might have been able to do that once and now you you can't because i think that what you know career women are nowadays is multifaceted um you know and and it definitely pays to be a a, a polymath so i guess you know where women you know traditionally you've complained of being forced to do this juggle now that really that that training and you know having to manage 50 things at once actually is um is a massive strength but i also feel like you know um the i think things are definitely more accepting of women being able to be themselves and i was very much reminded of that with with the gillian anderson conversation and you know watching the crown 
and just the way that you know you had to she had to be really more masculine than than all her male cabinet colleagues um and you know there's there's an increasing acceptance of women being themselves so i think wait you know jacinda ardern um who i think you referenced you know she's drawn global praise for her leadership but one of the first things she said when she um when she at the start of her premiership was that she wanted her government to be kind and i can't you know, I don't think that that would have been something, I mean, Margaret Thatcher would never have said that for a start, but, um, you know, um, um, you know, the fact is that that would have been perceived as, as weakness um, and now is perceived as strength. So I think, I think that that is definitely something that's, that's um, improved. There's always a much more complicated answer or complex answer to a simple question, isn't there? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. And that's exactly why I asked the question. Yeah. Powerful communication is what you do. And I think of, you know, of language as a tool that kind of inspires, that guides and influences. And I was just wondering from your point of view, what you think the key is to good communication, whether it's visual or verbal, because you work and inhabit both those worlds. Well, I think, again, I would say keep it simple because you know, I just can't stand jargon and, and sort of tech, tech words. Um, it was uh, another very great former Bazaar editor, Diana Vreeland, who said elegance is refusal. And, that, and I think it's the same with words and, and, and pictures, actually. Just sort of kill your darlings, you know. Look at yourself in the mirror and take one thing off. Um, when you're writing, you know, that amazing phrase that you've been polishing for weeks get rid of it <laughs> you know um it should be a, a piece should be limpid and clear and utterly impossible to misconstrue i think to be luxurious i think it's just got to be it's got to be pleasure it's got to be really pleasurable and evocative but if you start sort of feeling bludgeoned by the learning of the person who's writing it then then i don't find that an enjoyable experience yeah, I mean, you know, with luxury, specifically with luxury, terminology has come to um, define it in very different ways. You, you might have something that's a bespoke, you might, you now have heritage, you have deluxe. Um, there are so many words and terms or ways to describe luxury that I wonder if you felt that it's kind of losing its luster, as Dana Thomas put it. Yes, I think so. I mean, and so again, you know, I would rather have something described quite clearly as, you know, uh, I don't know, fine, you know, fine alpaca or, you know, whatever it is, but just actually described than sort of gussied up with all sorts of, of words that don't actually mean anything in themselves, you know, like stunning and, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 I, I, I get that. You mentioned earlier, it kind of, um, you briefly touched upon kind of the environment. And I was just wondering um, what you kind of, what your views are on um, sustainability. You know, now you are producing a magazine that um, is both in print and digital. And I'm, you know, making the assumption um, that your digital has grown significantly since March. Yep. And I just wondered if that kind of what your views on sustainability, because you're not producing so much paper anymore. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think, you know, I think actually the next big question is going to be, you know, people are actually going to start to take account of their of digital sustainability because everybody thinks that digital is this totally sustainable alternative, but it isn't. And as as you know, um, you know, we've just been that there was there was this report yesterday about how much more energy, for example, downloading something in HD is than you know than standard definition, um, and yet people will do that blithely, and people will you know my teenage daughters will go to sleep with, uh, you know, in a Zoom call with a friend and wake up the next day and they're still in the same Zoom call, you know. I mean, <laughs> they use that, you know, that sort of thing has not registered at all. And I think it's quite interesting because when it does, if it ever does, um, people, I think that things will really, really change. In terms of luxury generally, I think that, I think that sustainability has just sort of become integral to it because, where I, before, I think it was very much perceived as sort of being in opposition. But I think now that today's consumer um, really has to, really wants to feel good about what they buy as well as look good in it. Otherwise, it's just not enjoyable. I think, you know, you have to, a clear conscience is, is, a, is, a, definite, is a definite part of a, of a luxury experience. I think that, you know, Gabriella Hurst, who I mentioned before, you know, She's a prime example of that, um, but all all the big luxury brands, uh, you know, uh, are putting a huge amount of work into sustainability now. But I think, you know, the thing, the vital thing is that they do the hard work for the consumer. I think the, the what makes a luxury purchase is is it's beautiful, and you can buy it without without the faintest twinge of of guilt and discomfort. That's the perfect world, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> um, just thinking about you know track and trace of of product, like Absolutely. kind of a, a genuine um, process where we can, like a tomato, go back to the germination stage and then track it from there to the point where we eat it. It'd be amazing if you know not only luxury brands but all brands could engage in that kind of process in one way or the other yeah it'd be wonderful and it'd be great if you knew that you know your purchase was not only you know nice for yourself but actually you know had helped you know some some artisans collective or you know that you knew that it had also done good mm. um, but also I think for the bizarre reader specifically um, the attitude has always been buy less buy better and you know keep it so you know try sort of timeless fashion and fashion that's beautifully made so that you're not getting rid of it every season. And I think I mean, that's been one of the, I think the strongest messages over these past months is about buying, buying less. Mm. What is your luxury? Ha. Well, my luxury, honestly, um, with um, two children and a very energetic dog is, is 10 hours uninterrupted sleep. Ideally, between ironed linen, antique linen sheets, that that would be really very, very nice. That's that's interesting. <laughs> Has everybody said that? <laughs> no, no, nobody is. But that is mine. You know, really? My thing would be to get into a bed with iron sheets every night. <laughs> yes, yes. I I just can't. I can't think of anything better. <laughs> no, but then you have to be able to sleep as well. I mean, it's not just the bed is not enough. 
sleep is the integral part of it. Oh, absolutely. I know. And there's so many mindfulness apps at the moment that, you know, you kind of can use or not use or, but yeah, yeah I mean, the sheets are nothing without the, um, without the sleep, are they? Absolutely. Lydia, this has been amazing. Thank you so, so much. It's been um, a journey. Oh, you know. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It was really, really nice to talk to you. Thank you, Lydia. And thanks to our partners, Intellect Books. And thank you for listening. Join us next time on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast.